Good morning again to you as we get into God's Word together. Uh, the title of the message is Organizing God's People. And I realized after I did the title that people might think I'm talking about like some of the, the way organizing is used today in a political sense. <laughs> and that's not what I'm talking about. So uh, last week we, uh, we looked at the very beginning of the book of Deuteronomy and we talked about the uh, need and the value of studying these books of the Old Testament and really the entire Word of God. And we talked about how when people often want something new and innovative that God has laid down in Scripture His guidance. His guidance for life and it continues to be applicable in every generation. And so we do have things we learn. Or we're looking at the book of Deuteronomy together so that we can learn what it tells us about God, what it tells us about ourselves, what it tells about his eternal plan of salvation through Jesus, and what we're to do with all of that. In the very opening chapters of Deuteronomy, then, we find Moses giving a speech to the people of Israel. He's giving this speech in the 40th year of their journey, as we read last week, a journey that the text notes is but an 11-day journey. And that was one of the points we pondered last week. Has our own journey with God been delayed because of discontent or sin or stubbornness? Good question to ask ourselves. We probably can all answer in the affirmative here because we are all humans and our nature is opposed to God. And even once we're saved, Scripture tells us we're not yet perfected. So no one can say in response to that question, no, I've never been delayed in my journey because of those things. Even though I've met Christians who might say that they actually think they've never delayed their journey, we all know better. We can see clearly that none of us is doing this journey of faith in a perfect way, right? So the speech is happening 40 years into this journey. Now what significant thing had happened prior to the 40-year mark? There's something very significant that had happened before that verse was up. So let's look ahead a bit to see, and we'll quickly go into chapter 2, verse 14, just to give a preview of where we'll be in coming weeks. But here's something that happened. The time from our leaving from Kadesh Barnea until we crossed the brook Zered was 38 years until the entire generation, that is, the men of war, had perished from the camp as the Lord had sworn to them. We also see this in Joshua 5, 6. For the people of Israel walked 40 years in the wilderness until all the nation, the men of war who came out of Egypt, perished because they did not obey the The Lord swore to them that he would not let them see the land that the Lord had sworn to their fathers to give us, a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, we're told the reasons for this in several places in Scripture, but let me summarize briefly. And if you've been in the ladies' Bible study the past year, you know all this really well by now. The people of Israel were brought to the promised land, and 12 spies were sent in. 
And they came back, and ten of the spies said, no, it looks really scary. There are big people there. It is too dangerous for us to go in. And two spies, Joshua and Caleb, said, no, the Lord is with us. We can take the land. But the people grumbled and did not want to go into the land, so God made the people wander in the desert for 40 years so that all of those who had grumbled would die off. And the next generation of Israelites would go into the land. So who is Moses speaking to in this speech we're looking today in Deuteronomy chapter 1? He's speaking to the younger generation, the ones whose parents or grandparents had died in the desert. Many of them were infants or were not yet born during those events recorded in Exodus. And we can see why Moses decided to give them a history lesson. He wanted sure that everyone knew the history of what God had done for Israel. Remember that God's commands are often preceded by a reminder of what he say, he, who he is and what he has done. The Ten Commandments begin with, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. So God is always reminding his people what he's done for them. And his, the obedience that God requires of us is not without a connection or a reminder of what he's already done for us. He proves himself to us and then asks us to obey. So Moses is now recounting to the generation of Israel the good things he, that God has done. And so in the last few verses from last week's study, we see the beginning of Moses' speech to the younger generation. He's retelling of the faithfulness of God. And may we remember, especially those who are of an older generation in the faith, May we remember, because we've seen God move, we've seen God draw him, people to himself, we've seen God heal the sick, we've seen God provide for the needs that we've had, we've known God to move and act in our lives, so we need to share those stories of God's goodness and faithfulness to the younger generation, as Moses did. You know, churches used to do more of this, and perhaps we need to do more making time for testimonies. Not just what God's done recently, but also what has God done in the lives of his people. We need to tell those stories. The teaching of children about God should include our personal stories about his faithfulness. So let's go back to verse 6 from last week where the speech begins, and then we're going to go through verse 18 this morning. So, so at verse 6 it says, the Lord, our God, uh, the Lord our God said to us in Horeb, You have stayed long enough. At this mountain, turn and take your journey and go to the hill country of the Amorites and to all their neighbors in the Arabah, in the hill country and in the lowland and in the Negeb and by the seacoast, the land of the Canaanites and Lebanon as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land that the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob, to give them to their offspring after them. At that time I said to you, I am not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied. You are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. May the Lord, the God of your fathers, make you a thousand times as many as you were and bless you as he promised you. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, 
and I will appoint them as your heads. And you answered me, the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. As Moses tells the story, or begins to tell the story, God's deliverance, he's going to highlight some very important points about how God expects his people to conduct themselves. So he begins with a reminder of what God commanded. Remember, God had already revealed himself as completely sovereign over nations. People have witnessed the power of God in the plagues, the pillar of fire, the crossing of the Red Sea, and more. One who has proved himself again and to Israel. One, giving them direction. So he says to them, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. Turn and take your journey. See, I have set the land before you. Go in and take possession of the land. So last week we looked at that part of it. Now this morning we're going to pick up at verse 9. At that time I said to you, I'm not able to bear you by myself. The Lord your God has multiplied you and behold, you are today as numerous as the stars of heaven. So it is pointed out by some people that we could classify maybe as hyper-literal. That, that is that they look at scripture and they want every word to mean exactly what it is and not allow for metaphors, not allow for hyperbole, not allow for anything else. And they look at this and they say, well, now we know there's trillions of stars in the sky, so this could not be accurate because the people of Israel certainly did not then and do not now number themselves in the trillions. Well, first of all, it's a metaphor, okay? It's a way of saying there are a lot of you. And secondly, even in those days, without the light pollution we have today, there were still only maybe at the most a few thousand stars visible to the human eye anyway. So as far as the perspective of the people was, they did number as many as the stars of the sky and more. But regardless, don't get hung up on metaphors in the Bible. Jesus used metaphors. He used similes, he used hyperbole, and did many of the other writers of the scriptures who were all inspired by the Holy Spirit to use those figures of speech. So don't let that bother you, okay? It's just a way of saying there was a great number. Because of the great number, and apparently they had multiplied even since leaving Egypt, Moses says, I'm not able to bear you by myself. Now, what does he mean by that? Well, Moses was humble enough to know that he could not personally see to every detail of leadership. It was impossible for any person to do that. We don't expect the governor of our state, much less the president of the country, to be personally involved in every decision of the government. It's just not even possible. So they delegate. There's a huge executive branch in our government. 
The president sets the tone and the policies, but he could not possibly be involved in every decision, big or small. As the executive in charge of Israel at this time, Moses needed help. In verse 11, he blesses the people by asking God to increase them by a thousand times, which may be hyperbole. But a leader whose population increases now has even more people he's responsible for. And so Moses recognizes he cannot do it all himself. And then he says in verse 12, How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? Choose for your tribes wise, understanding, and experienced men, and I will appoint them as your heads. Now, where did Moses get the idea to do all this? Believe it or not, he listened to his father-in-law. It says in Exodus 18, starting at verse 13, The next day Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is this that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning until evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me. And I decide between one person and another. And I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You are not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, and any small matter they shall decide themselves, so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. So if you do this, God will direct you, you will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace." So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. So this is what happened. And this is why Moses is telling this younger generation there's a reasoning behind appointing these leaders. But note that while Moses did appoint those leaders, the people themselves chose the leaders. They were to choose wise, understanding, and experienced men And then Moses would appoint them, that is, he would charge them with their duties. According to the Expositor's Bible Commentary, the wise, understanding, and respected men are also called leading men in verse 15. And that word wise means men who know how to apply their knowledge. And understanding means those who have discernment and so are able to judge matters. And respected means those who were well-known or experienced. And the passive form of, of the word that's translated there, know, also occurs in Isaiah 53.3, speaking of our Lord, where the NIV translates it with familiar with suffering or experienced in suffering. So when Moses did all of this, the people 
we're happy with this direction. We see that in verse 14. It says, you answered me the thing that you have spoken is good for us to do. And this reminds me a little bit of the situation we find in Acts chapter 6, where we see the reasoning behind the appointing of deacons. And I'll read from Acts. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, Prochorus, Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. At these they set before the apostles, and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. So a job in Acts became too big for the main leaders, and so they appointed deacons, or servants, for certain work. And the result was, just as Moses' result, it pleased the people. People like it when leaders delegate duties to people who can serve well. But a danger is often found in leadership. Often a leader doesn't want to give up certain responsibilities or powers. Maybe they don't trust that it will be done right or the way that they want it done if they, unless they do it personally. Maybe the leader wants the credit for the work and, allows, and allowing others to serve spreads out not only the responsibilities but the credit as well. So some people have a problem with that. Maybe he's proud. Whatever the reason, too many leaders cling to being personally involved in every decision. And when this happens, everyone under that leadership suffers. They suffer from not being, having the privilege to work. That's part of it. They suffer from the leader being unable to personally see to everything so things fall away. And sadly, sometimes they suffer because the leader who cannot delegate and insists on doing it all is prone to moral failure. Either because his guard is down and he's worn out or because his pride causes him to feel he's entitled to a little sin here and there. But the people respond well if there's clear organization and delegation. If their leader is still actively involved but will up some detail work for the sake of others uh, to be able to serve and have a healthy organization, the people will rejoice. I read recently that a church will never exceed its organizational capacity. In other words, if, if your organizational structure is big enough to do really well with 100 people, you will not exceed that number for very long. You may go up to 130 for a while, but it'll come right back down to 100 because that's your structure. That's what you've set up. So the number can only be as high as what your structure is set up for. So how can one pastor possibly grow a church unless others come and serve alongside him? And yet for this to happen, he has to let go of the reins for certain ministries. 
Unfortunately, many leaders take it all on themselves. By doing this, they deny others the opportunity for growth and service. And ultimately, you lose some of the most talented people in the church because they're not content to just sit on the bench. They want to be in the game. And when our Lord said we should pray for workers for the harvest, he didn't mean more pastors. Instead, I pray that the Lord himself would draw the right people, giving them a passion to serve, because this is far better than getting someone to do something through nagging. So I thank God all the time for Oasis Church, the many eager workers here who want to contribute. I praise God for that. As we continue to work on our structure and putting people into positions of real leadership, our church will grow. And we need to stay on top of serving our Lord and King Jesus with excellence and energy and excitement. So Moses did just what he was recommended to do by his father-in-law, Jethro. Deuteronomy 1, 15 to 18, we'll continue on. So I took the heads of your tribes, wise and experienced men, and set them as heads over you, commanders of thousands, commanders of hundreds, commanders of fifties, commanders of tens, and officers throughout your tribes. And I charged your judges at that time, hear the cases between your brothers, and judge righteously between a man and his brother or the alien who is with him. You shall not be partial in judgment. You shall hear the small and the great alike. You shall not be intimidated by anyone, for the judgment is God's. And the case that is too hard for you, you shall bring to me, and I will hear it. And I commanded you at that time all the things that you should do. Now, a lot has been said in the past few years about justice and Christianity. And certainly God has told us a lot about justice in Scripture. We can learn everything we need to know about God's way of justice by reading our Bible. Unfortunately, though, in the political sphere, not everyone means the same thing when they use the word justice. So I'm not going to discuss all the wrong ways to use the word justice because that would be its own topic and not really edifying for us this morning. Instead, let's consider some of the points that are here about justice in Scripture. So this is from the Expositor's Bible Commentary. Four matters regarding justice are mentioned. Disputes between fellow Israelites or with foreign inhabitants of the land were to be arbitrated. Number two, the directives for making decisions include no partiality. Small and great were to be heard on an equal basis. Number three, judges were not to fear man because judicial process rested on the realization that judgment belongs to God. And number four, cases too difficult for the judges were to be referred to Moses. And uh, from... uh, Deuteronomy and Introduction and Commentary, uh, Ed Woods, he said this, The role of judge is detailed here both in the interests of social justice and as a charter for future generations. Charged probably reflects appointment by oath, as practiced in the ancient Near East. An alien could be someone residing with the Israelites to be treated as a brother. Though not equal in all respects to the Israelites, aliens were to be treated equally in law. The Israelites had been aliens in Egypt, therefore they should love the alien as the Lord had loved them. 
In summary, three aspects of the judge's duty are mentioned in verses 16 and 17. They're to judge fairly. They must not show partiality within the judicial process. And the, they must the, not be afraid of the face of man. And one more quote I'll give you. Um, this is from the World Biblical Commentary, and it tells us something about what Luther wrote about this. In a lecture on Deuteronomy, Luther notes that the question of persons in government comes before the exposition of law, since laws are useless without persons to administer and enforce them. Magistrates are to endure the burdens and disputes of the people as servants, not as masters. Luther also notes that no account is taken here of the rich, powerful, noble, or strong for handling public office, as is the usual custom. It is the wise, understanding, and experienced who are to be selected, even if they are poor, lowly, and weak. Moreover, if the choice is between a leader who is good but not prudent or one who is prudent but not good, the prudent though not good is to be preferred. In Luther's words, such a good man would actually rule nothing but would be ruled only by others, and at that, only by the worst people. Even if the prudent man harms good people... Yet at the same time, he governs the evil ones, which is the most necessary, since the world is nothing else than a crowd of evil people. Now, in the end, someone could try being a great leader by delegating, but not taking responsibility. That's the other end of the pendulum. If you think of a pendulum, you know, we have so many issues in life, they swing back and forth. On one side, you may have a leader that cannot delegate. And on the other side, you could have a leader who delegates but does not work himself or does not take any responsibility. And thankfully, this was not the case with Moses. He took his responsibilities very seriously. And in the end, he told the leaders that if any case was too hard for them, they should bring it to him. So when settling disputes among the people, the leaders were empowered to bring the case to Moses if they felt it was beyond their ability to handle Note that it wasn't the people seeking the arbitration that got to go to Moses. You didn't just get to go, I'm going to Moses. It was only the the lower level people that could decide, I can't handle this, I'm going up. And so this way Moses allowed the leaders and judges to grow and mature and also gave them the safety net of of, of him judging when they felt inadequate. So if, if, if they didn't feel adequate to make the decision... He took that full responsibility. So great leaders are willing to take the blame when things are not going well and give others the credit where there is success. And this is a great little story I found in the Preacher's Commentary series, and I think I've got on the screen for you. This is about Abraham Lincoln. Abraham Lincoln, like Moses, understood the motivation that subordinates receive when the top man is willing to assume responsibility for others. He demonstrated this truth immediately following the Battle of Gettysburg. Lincoln sensed an opportunity to end the war by driving hard against Lee's army as it retreated. A swift, daring attack might do it. As commander-in-chief of the army, he ordered General Meade to pursue. A friendly note in the president's handwriting accompanied the official orders. It said, The order I enclose is not on record. If you succeed, you need not publish the order. If you fail, publish it. Then if you succeed, you will have all the credit of the movement. If not, I'll take responsibility. With that kind of loyalty, Lincoln installed confidence in his generals. They would go the extra mile for him.
So how do we apply this in our own lives? Every one of us is in some sort of leadership role. Parents are in a leadership role. You are in a leadership role at your job one way or another. Even if you're not the top leader, in some way you lead. And in church, we have leaders and we need leaders. And ultimately, every believer should aspire to be a leader. If nothing else, showing others by example what living like a Christian should look like. So what can we learn from our passage today about leadership? Well, one thing is that we, we need to learn that no leader can handle a large group by himself or herself. Leaders need to delegate responsibilities and then give folks the chance to succeed or fail. We desire success, but we all fail at times. Leaders need to make sure that when there is failure, it's in a safe place. Moses realized he couldn't handle it all. He was humble enough to take advice from his father-in-law, Jethro. He saw the wisdom in the plan of not overseeing every individual in the tribe, but allowing leaders to lead, and then providing a structure where he still maintained responsibility for everyone. How can you lead like that? In the home, at church, in your place of work, when you have a chance to lead, do you give others an opportunity to grow? Perhaps you're one of those that say, well, I'm not a leader, not really wanting to do the leadership thing. Yet you have been delegated one important task by our Lord. We talk a lot about the Great Commission, but let's not miss, miss the point that the Great Commission is one of the greatest examples of delegation you'll ever find. Because Jesus states that he has all authority in heaven and on earth, and then he takes that authority and he delegates it to each believer. Let's look at it. Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, Jesus said. So before he gives the command, he states the authority he has to give the command. I have the authority to give this command, Jesus says, I give it to you. A general in the military is given authority to give legal orders. And when the general tells the colonel to do something, the colonel must do it or see that it gets done. He may assign it to a captain or a sergeant. But ultimately, though each one down the chain of command is responsible to follow the orders, the first one receiving the order has the greatest responsibility. Jesus has all authority, and he commissions us to go. Moses was given responsibility for leadership of all Israel, and he delegated portions of this to others. So as we go about our lives as both leaders and followers, let us seek to do it in a way that honors God. Now, as I was preparing the sermon, I became well aware of the fact that people will probably hear the sermon and say, oh, I wonder if pastor's doing what he says there. Well, here's what I'll tell you. I'm accountable to all of you as well. And so I hope that I could lead like that, but if I'm not, let me know, and we will... 
hold ourselves accountable. And this is the great plan of God's way of organizing the church and his people is that we allow others to serve and grow and become leaders and that way we can all keep growing together. May God help us to do it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word this morning. And thank you for the examples you give us in Scripture.